Want to make uh, any more bold predictions about uh, world events here? <laughs> In terms of... A podcast with a perhaps convenient but very healthy skepticism of the experts in all matters. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host, that's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How are you doing, Lori? Fine. Lori's fine. Tonight is Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. Recording on a Wednesday, I think, for maybe the first or second time ever in the history of uh, Cast Iron Brains. Have we hit every day of the week? Have we ever done a Thursday, Friday? We've definitely done Thursday. I'm not sure that we've ever recorded on a Friday. I don't think we've recorded on Friday. We did a Saturday when you were here once. This is the thrilling sort of content that people come here for (laughs) right off the top. The people don't come here, so that's great. Abe, you were in uh, Vegas and yes, I know that like what, you know, what they say is that what happens in Vegas stays. It's a whole ad campaign about how uh, you can be debaucherous and, and cheat on your wife and stuff. And then you don't have to tell anybody about it. But you right. are in the content producing business. Abe, that was so. before social media. So. <laughs> so now you have to tell us uh, what happened in Vegas. At, at least in my experience. And I think this is, I don't know, my fifth time in Vegas. The staying here part is my money, right? I, I come there with some money. I leave. The money stays, right? It was fun. I mean, the purpose of the trip was to do some running thing that I didn't participate in. I say the purpose of the trip was for a friend of yours to do some running. Yeah, two friends. You were there for there moral support. Us. Two friends. Actually, not even that. I did not. I just... more moral support than each other. That's right. By the way, they did like a race, like a small race in the Fremont part of Vegas, which was like a 5K, some small little thing. Uh, we went there, but we didn't watch the race. We just did other stuff until they were done, and they met us up. And then Saturday, we didn't see any of it. We just stayed at the casino while they ran their little half marathon. So I mean, you don't not need to even watch moral someone support. run a half marathon. Yeah, right. You know what it But maybe there was like. like a popular corner yeah, no, somewhere. You can... You can like give a heart react to his uh, his Instagram about it later. You don't have to actually right. be there. <laughs> and also, like you know, the Peachtree Road Race and other Atlanta things. There's a lot of viewing areas. Vegas wasn't really like that. I mean, I don't know. I didn't even step outside. <laughs> uh, but it was fun. But I will say, I think my uh, I'm going to indefinitely, not permanently. I'm going to indefinitely suspend my gambling career it has oh. been an absolute failure i haven't won anything yeah. and so what's the point point? and also what games were you playing or you're just losing money constantly mostly uh the roulette thing uh, <laughs> you know so you're saying that it's unwise <laughs> to take like a one in 50 shot no I did every permutation the class of roulette. that I you just know. finished, a big unit was on probability, and I could calculate for you the likelihood of you winning those games 
if you give I me could. a few minutes to go get my textbook to figure out how. I'm confident that I, if I bet on a fixed boxing fight, I know the result. Somebody's <laughs> going to take a dive. I would lose. <laughs> I have no confidence in any of these stupid numbers. One of my friends was showing me some YouTube clip about some strategy. I've employed all of these things. Well, you know, my brother's, my brother's, he was going to hack Vegas by just going there and putting $20 on red and then yeah. just doubling it every time <laughs> un okay. until, it, until it hits. And then he walks away. And then you can go back later. But as long yes. as you always double the bet and then walk away when it finally hits, you can never lose. I literally, literally did that. Because that was one of the video clips that uh, somebody showed me. <laughs> oh, this doubling thing. There's some stupid name. And I your doubled. Your chances are the same every time. Because What's that? your chances you're, are right. minuscule every single yeah. time. So right. you probably still... That's why, you, that's why you're not gambling anymore. Right, but any... Strategy I devise, it would still be the same chance, right? It's not like it's like it, it remembered what it drew last exactly. time, right? It's just gonna. So no matter what strategy you develop, it's gonna be whatever it is. And and besides, you know, the spending of the money is fine on the gambling, but it's like an entertainment kind of thing. Yeah. And I realized on the flight back, I've never been to any show in Vegas in all the times <laughs> that I've been there because all of my money, my entertainment money, is spent on losing. So. In the future, when I land in Vegas, I'll go to a casino and just give them $50, right? You know, <laughs> the Treasury Department, you know, you're, if you paid your taxes, you can also send voluntarily additional funds to the government, right? right. That's what I'm going to do with these casinos. $50, fuck off, and then I'll go see one of these blue groups or whatever. You or could just not spend the $50. No, no, no. It's a, it's a formality. i got to give them no. more money. No, no, no. They're doing fine. They just took all of your money. <laughs> that was like a down payment for the next couple the, trips. Then go see. see some shows. Which okay. also well, cost money. As long as you got out of there without signing up for season, stick, season tickets for like the Las Vegas Nights or whatever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that your crew would end up in a, in a conference room somewhere. Uh, getting pitched on a, a timeshare. Right, yeah, some goofy thing. But it was fun. On the way in, the first day of Vegas, uh, our Uber driver was some conspiracy guy talking about how everybody's dying from a thing. Well, and I just is. was entertaining him, just humoring him. And my friends were like, oh, you got to like say something. It's like, this is a 20-minute relationship. I'm never going to see this person again. What do you mean? Let's so they're trying to get, they were trying to get you to like set him straight on his conspiracy mongering? Well, yeah, basically they were like, oh. That, that's, that's not true. And I was like, oh, that's, that had to be my experience. I've taken all these stupid <laughs> vaccines. I'm still alive. But he was literally saying, everybody he knows who has taken the vaccine is dead now. And I'm like, wow, look at that. <laughs> that is unfortunate. Everyone he knows who took the vaccine is dead now. Oh, wow. I was like, all right. The, the hotel is this way. And he almost got into a fight with some guy. Like, he was a very uh, odd guy. He got five stars. But uh, yeah, it reminds me of one of the last times I was in a ride share <laughs> and that crazy woman on the highways of 85 in, uh, around Atlanta just trying to murder us. <laughs> you don't you don't want to question. And she's like talking weird stuff about like her husband or her boyfriend or something. You don't right. argue with these people. You just go along yes. with whatever they're yeah. You play along. It's like, uh, that's interesting. And just keep it. How about yeah. the flights? Didn't you fly uh, some discount shitty airline or something? And yeah, then... some cut-rate airline. This was my first time. Didn't uh, even Spirit. have a pilot? 
So on the way there, there was a two-and-a-half-hour delay, and for some reason, they would just tell us the goings-on behind the scenes. Like, I don't – like, just whatever, right? But their explanation was that they didn't have a pilot. So the plane is there. Everybody's seated, and I think they did this, the boarding just to meet some sort of – I think it doesn't count as late if – I don't know. It sounded like they are doing some sort of scheme to meet some on-time criteria right. because they clearly were not ready to fly. And so we're just sitting there for a little while. But eventually he got there, two and a half hours late. It didn't matter on the way there. Was, on he, the like, way back, was he like unshaven and like sort of <laughs> only had his tie halfway on and just reeked of booze as he's coming up the jetway? No, no. This person was, pers- you know, he. I mean, he landed the plane, so that's all right. I care. If he did it drunk, kudos to him. Uh, but on the way back, no issues on time. We left exactly when they said they would, and we arrived a few minutes early. If you're going to be traveling solo, I would recommend it. I think it would be too big of a pain if it's a family-related thing, if you're checking your bags, that sort of thing. Right. But if it's just one person, why not? Yeah, I don't know if I can fly a discount airline. No. It's just not not worth it. Not in me. I guess there's been some stuff going on in the world here lately. It's been terrible. Apparently. Can we quit? Abe, you said on last week's podcast that Putin wasn't going to go into Ukraine in any sort of serious way. And then... Right. I barely you had did. time to edit the episode before you were proved wrong hilariously wrong. <laughs> you know, this Putin guy, uh, for a long time, they said, you know, he's a sack of shit, but a calculated sack of shit. And this, to me, runs counter to the calculated part, because this seems like a bad idea on his side. I mean, it's a humanitarian disaster on the other side, but for his side, he has galvanized basically everybody against him like i don't, maybe this was his plan but it's a stupid plan if so but that was the thinking behind my like there's no way he would do this because this sort of thing would bring about all of the responses where they're seizing everybody's stuff in nato territory they're imposing these sanctions which may take some time to 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 have an impact but like has this been a good thing Right for Russia, and right. it seems like they've kind of stalled. I mean, they're they're likely going to overtake Ukraine in due due time, but they haven't looked particularly sophisticated. Not the military, and not Putin. And that was the whole thing about him: how he was so smart. And where's the win? Like, where's the best? Like, what? How do right. you imagine this in a best case scenario, where it ends up being? a win, like an outright win for Russia and for Putin, where those two things presumably are supposed to align. Right. And it's hard to figure out exactly what would be an actual win for them, at, and certainly at this point, to say nothing of what it might have looked like. Now, now you, can, you can say that when this started, maybe they thought that things were going to go much more smoothly for them, right? Right. You have this declaration that he's that Russia is going to recognize uh, Luhansk and uh, the, the Donbass regions. The yeah, the made up two so called breakaway territories that they stole. Right, Luhansk and Donetsk, which, ironically, according to some reading that I was doing, were actually the cities there were founded by like British imperialists a long, long time ago. Apparently that part of Ukraine, for all of the yelling about how this is all uh, uh, expat Russian territory and that just needs to be reclaimed for for greater Russia that that Putin says, 
Apparently, it was largely empty and not occupied by Russians or anyone else for much of, like, you know, three, four, five hundred years, basically. Wow. Yeah, you can imagine where he thought, I'm going to get a hold of Luhansk and Donetsk and claim that those are now independent republics that will be offered the protection of Russia and be, be aligned with us politically and economically and sort of just as an extension of what happened in 2014, right, where he gets right. Crimea, which gives him uh, – functionally gives him easier sea access basically. Right. And you can imagine – I mean this, this is – there's been fighting going on there since 2014, since since the Crimean thing happened and it's been alleged separatists with no ties to Russia that, the, that, that it's just uh, independent freedom fighters over there with nothing to do with Russia, of course, uh, fighting against – uh, the Ukrainians in that territory, and there's no there's no real good reason to believe that. It seems like it's pretty obvious that we're talking about a Russian-backed group of militants trying to break off from Ukraine there, and that maybe like he causes some problems in some other more western and and central parts of Ukraine with some shelling or what have you, and then pulls that back and is like is just happy to have collected. To, to have partitioned that part of Ukraine off and then call it a day. But that doesn't seem to be what he's doing, right? He seems right. to be more interested in... It's an all-out... Right. right just a, to- a complete takeover of the country. And what that looks like with any sort of resistance is 10, 15, 20 years of, like, guerrilla fighting in the streets. Like, they could take... They could sack the government and... Right. And murder Volodymyr Zelensky, the the heartthrob president that everybody's right. uh, pining over here in the in the West the last few days, and and decapitate the government basically and install a Moscow friendly government. But so, you're not going yeah, to have stooge, converted right. the 44 million people who live in the country to your side, right? Especially in the manner they went about it, right? I mean, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I, like I said last week, much about Ukraine, but. You don't win hearts and minds in this fashion, just bombing them, and then what? The, that supposed foiled assassination attempt, and all basically all the things you're doing. If you win militarily, which is likely, I mean, I don't know how quickly the U.S. took over Baghdad, but that war lasted a lot longer than those two weeks, three weeks. When was the the Saddam statute coming down, and everything was looking well? Maybe things will be fine and then the bottom fell out right like i think it was like three weeks within three weeks it was basically done but that war continued for how long after right and so you could have a similar thing maybe it'll take longer than three weeks for russia but they could do it at what cost though right and and they, they seem to have believed that they were going the way that they went about this was with the idea that we won't do the thing that Russia usually does when they get involved in these sorts of conflicts, which is just to level the fuck out of everything and burn the cities, right? right? So right. they haven't they haven't taken that tact, presumably because it's one thing to do it in Aleppo. It's another right. thing to do it in a place that you are at the same time that you're claiming is just a part of, of your own country that you want right. to bring back into the fold, right? Right. So Maybe that's why what we've seen in this first week of this has been relatively – I mean, I obviously you don't want to use like, you know, relatively not terrible. You thought it would be worse seven days in. Right. But when you consider what Russia usually does, the, the Russian right. 
mo in these sorts of things is not the Amer- it's not and and yeah th- does this sound like i'm being uh, grossly oversimplistic about the way or 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 favorable to the way that america does its operations but america's modern war operation is precise now do we always make great do we always decide on the right target in a correct right. way no, not. I think that's right. pretty clear. But once the, we pick, once we pick a right. target, we know where the bomb is going to fall. Unlike right. what happens in Russia, who either doesn't have very many guided missiles, or doesn't have very many good guided missiles. Uh, right. Where some of the footage coming or out of this, they're just lazy, right? Or they just don't care. But it, but it seems like to this point they have cared that they're trying to win. Do you uh, think part of the calculation is not the? They want to preserve the cultural, historical kind of aspects of the country, so they want to just turn it into rubble. Uh, do you also Ruble, think that maybe Ruble, social? Ruble. Yeah. <laughs> do you think the social media and the, all the cameras on them is different than what it was like with Syria? Because you did get some footage out of the Syria stuff, but not to the same extent as this. Anything that happens in Ukraine is plastered everywhere, uh, and so do you think that that? consideration it certainly seems like it would be and it certainly is a consideration on the ukrainian side because they are winning the shit out of the information war in terms right. of the the social media stuff and are like obviously paying a great deal of attention to how much a selfie video in the hands of uh whether it's the president or just some old guy on the street or some some cell phone video of a grandmother like handing seeds to a Russian soldier. Right. Like that is incredibly powerful stuff. And yeah, that's the sort of thing that rallies the entire world around you apparently. And like we'll we'll get into in a few minutes why we think Russia is doing this and and whether or not the United States or the West is to blame. But before that, I do want to talk about the way that I think that the Biden administration has handled this almost as expertly, almost as well as you can imagine it could possibly be handled. Going back to a few weeks ago, outlining seemingly every piece of available intelligence that they had, uh, basically like pulling it off the fax machine as it comes in from yeah, Moscow. Yeah, it's literally, uh, yeah. And, and like saying, look, time. this is this is what yeah. we think they're going to do. And like seemingly being willing to burn sources and methods in, in a way that you don't usually see to the point that all of the usual skeptics of the intelligence community and and American imperialism writ large all look like idiots with egg on their faces for having dismissed the warnings right. that the Biden administration was rolling out for the for the last month. What's troubling by all of the eggs on their faces, uh, at least a lot of them, is that they were just reflexively just taking the other side. They weren't like absorbing the intelligence and saying that they had different intelligence that pointed to something else, right? They're just saying, oh, you're wrong about Iraq and you're wrong about this other thing. So that's the only basis as to why I think you're wrong about this, even though they all of the troop movements and all of the stuff that the U.S. and U.K. and other governments were pointing to, to saying they're actually going to do this, right? Right. They're not just, we just doing some weird bluff. New York Times or something that China asked Russia to delay Ukraine war. Because of the Olympics, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Cool. Right. Yeah. Well, we, and we had, <laughs> right. That, so that's a, that's only a confirmation basically of, of what we report, had, right. of what we all thought had happened 
three weeks ago. Yeah. Right. I mean, Poroshenko, the guy who was ousted, or not ousted, but he was the, the former president of Ukraine who's, who'd left the country and was told that if he came back, he might end up in jail. He might have to post like $40 million in bail. He, go, he goes back to the country in January saying that he was going back to defend against the Russian invaders. So, I mean, obviously you can't take – like that is – that's the sort of post hoc thing that you can apply and say, wow, I guess that he was right to, to recognize that something real was happening. And certainly 99 times out of 100, that thing doesn't happen and then nobody even notices, right? But right. he says he's coming back to the country to fight against the, the imminent Russian invasion and then it turns out that the, the Russian invasion actually happens. And then he's like in the streets with a Kalashnikov saying like, come, bring your brooms. We'll trade brooms for Kalashnikovs. Like, right. Like he's ready to actually fight these assholes in the these streets. These are some badass people. Yeah. Right. Like uh, I – it's unimaginable for the same kind of thing to happen here obviously. But part of what's unimaginable is like um, – that's fucking not going to happen here. Everyone's yeah. going to be like, uh, no. Also, it seems like even the people in Ukraine apparently thought that this was all a big show, that they there wasn't actually going to be a full-on invasion. Worst case scenario, those eastern region, breakaway regions would be attacked. But it, it appeared from all of the people that are like in Poland and whatever they are now, the border countries, are like they weren't actually thinking this was going to – Happen. Right, and Zelensky himself was constantly going on television before this happened saying, you're not helping us by talking about how bad this could get. You're just hurting our economy. We don't think is, there's actually going to be an attempted invasion here. Let's just move on with, uh, move on with life. Right, and, and I suspect he was just saying that to keep calm. I'm sure that the other government shared the, the information yeah. with his government, so he must have known that they're actually going to do this. But, I, but just to get back to the Biden administration, that sort of full transparency, I mean, to the extent that you can have full transparency in these matters, but seemingly just dumping all of their cards on the table and saying, this is what we expect Putin to do. Right. And then he goes and he does it. And there's some nonsense out there that's like, well, Putin wouldn't have done it if if the Biden administration hadn't that said is, that he was going to do it. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It is such a stupid... Like, I just don't understand when, when people are wrong all the times, so I'm wrong all the times, and especially about things you have no inside information on. You're just taking a guess. So you're wrong about a guess. You weren't in a position to know any better. Why not just say, no, like, not- Taibi is like, hey, look, I thought it was going this way, went the other way, and that's it. He's like the only person I've seen who's actually done that. Most everybody else is like, oh, no, maybe you guys were bothering them. Are. That's what we talked about last week with the prosecution. They decide a thing, and yeah. even when all of these facts are shown, right. you're like, right. no, no, right. my thing's yeah, right. It's like, no. That proves yeah. my side, actually. Yeah, you egg them on. Like, the U.S. and other governments egged all of those troops to be mobilized and all of those bombs. Works. It's like right. it's such a stupid way of looking at things. It's like a well, very myopic way. There's the old Obama expression that proved – kind of disastrous in Libya. But the the leading from the back thing, right? Yeah. That's leading what, from behind? Right. Leading from behind, what we've seen in the last month is a terrific example of how leading from behind can actually pay off, right? Right. Because the so the United States lays out this lays out this scenario where Putin is going to do a maximalist sort of invasion of Ukraine, intent on overthrowing the government and installing a friendly regime there. Uh perhaps 
uh, all the way down to, in fact, like absorbing Ukraine somehow into uh, the Russian Federation. Right. Like that's what that's what the Biden administra- administration says is going to happen. And then it plays out in front of us. And yes, we then go on to make calls for for sanctions and for uh, various things to happen with regard to uh, trying to punish Russia for this. But largely this comes from the other NATO countries. This comes from the European right. Union. It comes from even Sweden, I think, or, or Switzerland is the surprising one, who who starts That's putting right. sanctions yeah. on Russia. The fact that all of these other countries were able to see, like, this is the United States laying out exactly what's going to happen, begging for it not to happen, and then it, and then that's what ends up happening. And then for the reaction to be what it was in a completely unified way, with the exception of, like, five or something stupid countries like china is unwilling to condemn this india for various re- uh, right larger geopolitical reasons is unwilling belarus. to condemn this and and yeah like fucking belarus being assholes and for a very random reason i still don't understand but the country of eritrea which broke off from ethiopia and africa they were one of the five countries who voted against that un resolution right on wednesday and it was basically like North Korea, Russia, Belarus, like just like the the typical countries and some random country uh, and in Eritrea, in, in, and I, yeah. nobody knows why. Right. I'm sure there's a good reason, but there's but like a mafia reason, like a good mafia kind of reason. But the good reason would be like to, if you, there is a reason if you're like your interests are tied to their interests, then you would abstain, which a lot of countries, not a lot of countries, but a handful of countries did. But maybe they're too small to do that. They're like, no, fuck you. You're going to be like North Korea. You're going to vote no on this. Um, But no, you're right. On the the coalition building and basically – and this has only been a few weeks now. But like as the U.S. government and the U.K. government, uh, they were sharing this information basically almost in real time, reeling the information of what they know. The Russian government and Putin and his minions were saying – all of the lies, right? Basically, no, none of, nothing of the sort is happening. These are all lies. This is a training exercise. We're not doing anything. We're not doing anything. And oh, fuck you. Ukraine doesn't exist. We're going to attack, right? So basically, right up, right, up, right up until that moment where he gives that speech and then right. announces that he's going to take over the part of the country and then sent, and then start bombing and then starts bombing Kiev. Like, right. He, he maintains the lie right up to the point where it's like. What? Uh, what would you be doing the thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so for all the people who were like, well, they're saying it's not happening and, you know, intelligence is wrong on the U.S. side. Maybe it is an exercise and blah, blah, blah. They're, they have security concerns. But this basically exposed that if anybody needed it, <laughs> Putin lies, right? This, this right. is what he does about these sort of things. And going back to the carelessness of the civilians killings, uh, to your point, I think – the U.S. attacks are precise. The intelligence is sometimes faulty. And so, like, the target, it's like that's the target, but then who's in there is all right. wrong. We hit or, the bullseye. It's just a right. question of why did we it's, choose that as the bullseye? Is, right. Is it's like, problem. oh, this guy is obviously a trafficking, like, weapons, and it turns out he was carrying water, and then right. we just blow them to smithereens. You know, that sort of thing. But, like, it hit that exact car that they wanted. <laughs> right. We, right. We killed the guy who had all the water and his whole fucking family, but that was right. the plan. We just right. sort of, it was a bad plan. Right. It's uh, bad <laughs> intel. But it seems, and I don't know what it is, maybe it's just old school Cold War era stuff, but the intelligence the West has on 
Russia seems to be so precise. It's not so precise when it's like the Middle East. They're like, I don't know. Something is happening. I see somebody moving. Let's just shoot them, right? It seems like their information, and maybe they can blend better. I don't know what it is, but they know exactly what's going on in Russia. Especially in this case. I don't know how many times in history we can point to this level of precision and getting it quite this right. But yeah, certainly when it comes to what's happened in the last month, there can be no doubting that Western intelligence sources are deep inside the Kremlin and and have a full understanding of what Russia is about to do. Right. I'm not even sure when the last time they were this right on something. Because they've been just eating shit for the last 20 years. So given that Putin has gone and done this and Russia Russia has gone and done this, do you give any credence to what we could call – there's a guy named John Mearsheimer. You might call it Kissinger-esque. You might call it sort of a Chomsky understanding of great power relationships. So, so that sort of great power school of international relations that says that what's happening in Ukraine now, what happened in Ukraine in 2014 was an inevitable outcome of American policy, of Western policy, of NATO policy, going back to expansion in 1999, expansion as recently as the Trump administration, by the way, although not not particularly in the direction of Russia in the case of the, the two most recent countries. But do you give any, or how much credence do you give the idea that this can be attributed to, ultimately, the United States? I think... Almost none, because I I do hear this ever encroaching presence where like every few years it's some new country that joins NATO or the EU or whatever, and basically there's no buffer, so to speak, between Russia and and NATO. What I don't understand is like if that's true, let's say what I what I'm discounting is true, how does Putin's actions help, right? Because now you have other countries who are kind of like neutral or they're like, ah, oh, there's no need for us to join the, the security agreement are now like more likely to join, right? So, I mean, you take Ukraine, let's say he does take it, then not all of the other countries that were kind of like could go either way are going to join. Like I think the country of Georgia, which I didn't you know, they were against the Russians, but they were requesting to join the EU or NATO or whatever. So even if that were true, how does this help? And just kind of take a big picture of it. What was wrong with the original strategy of let's do this piecemeal strategy of taking enough land to piss people off, but not enough to where the whole world's attention is on you to where like the company Apple is not selling stuff in your country, right? right. Like if you just carved out a little bit here, a little bit there, at the same time, sowing chaos and confusion online – Whatever you believe of the misinformation campaigns, of whatever impact you may think it had, and 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 that has the benefit of of allowing for infighting among NATO members, right? Right. That that has right. the benefit of of allowing the United States and Germany to be at each other's throat over Nord Stream two. Yes. Because Germany doesn't want to cut off. Well, well, because of the Donbass region, we're going to yeah. stop buying natural gas. Like, are you kidding me? That's like half the people there speak Russian anyway. Why would we right. care too much about that? So yeah, right. that's I, I agree with what you're saying there, where if he's just trying to continue his very long project of sowing right. division in the NATO alliance, 
Right. And at the same time, continuing sort of a project of Russian, you don't want to call it imperialism because that's not what he would call it, but a, a sort of romantic rebuilding of the larger Russian Federation as he imagines it once was, or as you know, defensively you can call, you, you could right. say that it certainly once was. You can see where that's a continuation of the, of the project that he's been af- after for a long time and doesn't upset the apple cart enough so that there won't be any fucking Apple stores in Moscow in the future, right? Right. Like, yeah, basically, it's like you went from tolerable shenanigans to now what's intolerable to basically most right, of the which, world. Which intolerable gives, shenanigans would be a great name for a podcast. Right. Which, <laughs> which gives credence to the sort of Ann Applebaum wing of understanding Putin, which is – that she would there say there is that, a podcast called Intolerable Shenanigans. No kidding. We should sue yeah. them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's how. The, oh, please, intellectual Time property works. <laughs> but anyway, the, these actions sort of give credence to the idea that what Putin is trying to do—that he cannot tolerate the existence of a functional democracy uh, that close to his sphere of influence, right? Right. That Ukraine as a sort of vassal state as it was sort of on the verge of becoming back in 2012, 2013, when uh, the previous president, Yanukovych was the president who Ukraine was on on a path to a greater trade presence and relationship with the European Union. And they were sort of negotiating Russia against the European Union. And it came down to Russia made uh, Yanukovych an offer he couldn't refuse. Right. In the in the form of a couple of billion dollars of of loan guarantees, and then said, "Hey, you better put down those protests. All those people who got mad at you for not basically joining with the Europeans, uh, you need to shut them up and put them down as violently as possible. And if you don't, then the the cash flow stops, and that ends up resulting in." I mean, the the Russians call it a coup. They say that a coup happened in 2014, which uh, ended up removing Yanukovych. He ends up leaving for Russia, at which point, uh, a few months later, Poroshenko is elected. Now, the so-called coup was, according to Ukrainians, was an impeachment. It was a unanimous impeachment by the legislature that kicked out Yanukovych, and then they had... Uh, quote-unquote free and fair elections a few months later. And yeah, was it a perfectly fully westernized democracy? No, of course not. Was it a corrupt place? Yes, ongoing, long-time corruption. But by most reports, by most understanding of of what's happening over there, getting better slowly over time, right? Right. right. By the way, uh, just as an aside, can you, as a dictator authoritarian who does not believe in democracy at all— object to a coup isn't that usually how you do it right. like i mean it's do as i say not as i do yeah it's like oh that's not I fair don't do what i do because only <laughs> right. i can do that right you don't do that yeah that's right exactly. so the ukrainians the <laughs> ukrainians have mass protests there's like violent like the there's a harsh like hundreds of protesters are killed by by police was this in the aftermath of the – or around the same era of the Arab Spring? And then like – was this the one where he got mad at Hillary Clinton, Putin did, because she was like encouraging this uh, uprising? Right. These, are, these, these are the protests and, and ones that 
also then spread to St. Petersburg, that spread to Moscow, that he ultimately blames on American interference without offering very much in the way of proof of that sort of thing. Right. Beyond a couple of comments, I think I think that you can find a couple sound bites of Hillary. Uh, in, I mean, not in like we didn't send plane loads of fucking protesters over there. Like we didn't do anything like that. But anyway, the point being that they get rid of Yanukovych, they elect Poroshenko, he leaves, and Zelensky comes in, and they seem to be on a path. The country seems to be on a path once again back to aligning themselves more with the European Union, more with the West, right? And maybe on the long term, although there's not much actual talk of this, uh, joining NATO and right. And therefore getting what's called Article 5 protection, right? Where an attack on any NATO country is to be treated as an attack on all NATO countries. Uh, Not the sort of thing that's been invoked very often. Uh, I think it was just 9-11, right? 9-11 being the only example that really comes to mind. And it's not like every single NATO country jumped at the opportunity to send a bunch of uh, soldiers to Afghanistan in response either, right? Right. Anyway, the whole point of giving that very poor and brief history of recent Ukrainian politics is to point out that it seems like that gives credence to the idea that Putin just cannot accept that there will be a Western-facing, not horribly corrupt democratic government that close to his doorstep. And the fact that he wants to say that Ukraine doesn't actually exist and that these people are simply misnamed Russians, that's all sort of cover for the idea that he just doesn't want a functional democracy in Ukraine because it makes him look bad. Right. By the way, whatever comes in the next few weeks and months, it seems to me that like Putin must know like his system has failed, right? These countries that were part of the Soviet Union— it appears to me whenever they have an opportunity, like if they're left to their own devices to think for themselves and make a choice, they gravitate west, right? And so like – So here's, here's where the real politic people would, would tell you that you're wrong, right? Okay. Which is that you cannot actually allow these smaller former USSR states – to make the turn westward if you are the West because it is an unnecessary provocation of a great power. Now, is Russia a great power in the sense that they were 50 years ago? No, but they are a great power in the sense that they have the largest nuclear arsenal on the planet. But it begins and ends there. They're not great in any – I don't think – I think all of the other – Categories are not. They're a great nuclear power, but it didn't appear to be that or great military. Is there any other power that matters, though? If we, yes, if, that's true. If, what, that's if true. we're talking about, if what we're talking about is what it means to be a great power, means can you destroy all life on Earth exactly, if you yeah. chose? It, right. And also, if, if there's anyone who still who still thinks that North Korea and Iran are going to think twice about pursuing the nuclear weapon. Like, this basically seals it. If you have nuclear weapons, you're going to be stable. Either you have to have nuclear weapons or be part of NATO. Otherwise, right. what is you're your, just a so sitting duck. What is, the, what is the one mistake that you can point to that Ukraine made in the last 50 years? They, basically, there was that agreement where they gave – I mean, there was some explanation where they said that even though nuclear weapons were in Ukraine, they didn't have full access to it. But they agreed in some arrangement to give them up and there was going to be some assurances – uh, from both ends, that nobody would bother Ukraine. That hasn't really 
borne out because they're invaded. Right. They gave up their nukes. Uh, right. That was clearly a mistake. Right. Gaddafi gave up his nukes and he got rammed up the ass or whatever happened to him. Like it seems like if you give up your nukes, bad things happen to you. If you are pursuing nukes, they do agreements with you. They meet with you at these stupid little joint press conferences like they did in North Korea. Like if you have that, that's basically the the takeaway. If you're a country and you're pursuing nuclear, if you're pursuing nuclear weapons, you're gonna continue to do so now. There, and I don't, I don't think there's gonna be any argument that any of these countries, like the U.S. or any other country, can tell Kim Jong Un or uh, Iran, "Hey, don't do it. We'll we'll have an agreement that we're not gonna attack you, or your neighbor's not gonna attack you." They're like, "Fuck that." Maybe in a few years, that's not gonna be the case. And so, like, I think that's all over. I think all of those countries who are near nuclear power, by the end of the decade, they'll be nuclear powers. Right. I mean, it's – and it remains just a staggering fact of perhaps accident and, and lucky fate more than anything else that we haven't seen something really awful happen, right? Because right. all that stands between where we are now and somebody actually using one of these things is a willingness to be a monster, Right? right, like it's a it's a willingness to be a monster on a scale that we really can't even contemplate, and we're just but like monster- incredibly lucky to not do that, right? And right. It, and perhaps an insane monster, a monster who would be sealing not just the fate of of some other people, but presumably also himself. But like there are plenty of insane monsters out there in the world. Right, we're just we've been to this point incredibly lucky not to have had either an accident or. Or the unthinkable happened because of a, I, I, a I mean, malevolent reason. On the heels of getting this prediction wrong, I'm going to make another one. I, I imagine that a crazy person would pursue like a smaller scale weapons of mass destruction, something like anthrax or something like that. I don't think anybody's crazy enough to do nuclear, but I can see them spreading some some weird agent that fucks people up. What? Like, why hasn't anyone shot Putin in the face? Right. Maybe. Like, why hasn't, like, like, what's taking so long? It almost seemed like uh, Biden at the end of the State of the Union was giving some sort of coded message. Like, what was that? Shoot this guy. Go go get him. Go get him. Like, (laughs) fucking do. Like, it would, I don't think anyone would be upset. First of all, if that was a coded message, it's the worst code that's ever been deployed. But maybe some some advisor tells him, Mr. President, you you stumble a lot. Corn Pop says, go get him. Right. I mean, during the speech, he said Iran instead of Ukraine, or we're going to be, we're not going to be fighting in Ukraine, but he meant. To, he meant that, but he said we're gonna we're not gonna go to Europe to fight Ukraine. Right. So maybe that's part said, of the even strategy. As, even he as said the tanks, even as the tanks surround Kiev and and all of Ukraine's other great cities, uh, we we stand with the Iranian people. Like, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, we stand, <laughs> we stand with the Iranian <laughs> people. What? Those assholes! So, those assholes just voted against us at the UN Security Council. What are you talking about? We stand with the right. Iranian. But that's why he had it, one of those verbal typos that was. He probably he, he you know he he does the stutter thing and he's old. But I, if there was a coded message, they would say just do it in plain sight because they're just gonna assume you fumbled some other like finishing statement. But that was actually the message, right? Like yada yada yada, go kill him. Although 
what if Putin dies in the next year, I won't believe any sort of thing. Like he died of like natural causes or he fell downstairs. I'm like just all like, of that will be bullshit. honestly surprised that we've gone a whole week and no one's poisoned him and right. no one's shot it. Like you'd think that there are enough I think people. That we're, yeah, I, but, I think that long table prevented uh, some of the assassination right. attempts, right? He's in, he's, he's, he does a very thorough job of isolating himself. He and, had not resorted to Saddam Hussein tactics yet, where he had those doubles, obviously not Saddam doubles. Like he hadn't done that yet. But yeah, I'm sure he's like keeping a distance. Also, I think that, I mean, I've said this before. I don't know if I ever let it go out on the podcast, but I'm constantly surprised at the lack of assassination attempts that we know about uh, specifically for the last two presidents, right? Because we've been living since 2008 at a time of like really heightened. uh, Since before that, Bush. Sure. I was never, or I don't remember being particularly concerned that there were people out there willing to because you don't just need one person. You sort of need a hand. You need a you need a whole pile of people willing to do the thing, and then right. all of the breaks to go the right or the wrong way, depending on how you're thinking of the situation, yeah. <laughs> for it for it to get to the point where they publicly make an attempt on the president's life. But I've I I remain surprised that uh, Obama and then Trump managed to seemingly go through their whole presidencies without any major i'm sure that there are there are no doubt dozens if not hundreds of minor that they don't uh, things report on. that I we mean, just w- don't find out about but weren't there a, a couple occasions either i think obama or trump were some crazy person scaled the fence at the white house and they got way too far for right you know like i guess no one was minding the, the white house but like i suspect that no like state authority would ever pursue that because it would wouldn't that just get those countries pissed off even more like it's not like what sort of uh, outcome do you want by killing the president like wh- right and anybody who's close enough right now to putin has a long established track record of being on putin's side yeah like that <laughs> there's nobody who thinks that what putin is doing is wrong-headed at this point because there's nobody in the room with him telling him that what he's chosen to do is wrong so why would any of them be willing to stand up and shoot the dude and also like i mean who knows it it wouldn't be good (laughs) i'm not saying it's good that he continue uh, but it's also not good to be bombing civilians and so i'll take one bad bad. (laughs) i feel like we got a little sidetracked there and i was still trying to grapple with the idea that this is the West's fault. And I don't know. I think that there is, and I'll put, I'll put a link up to a, to a long talk and an interview, but with this Mearsheimer guy, he gave it, he was given this talk back in like 2014 and it's like an hour long, like, you know, like a college talk, like a lecture that you see posted or whatever. And uh, he also gave an interview with the New Yorker this week to Isaac Chotner, who, if it's sort of become a meme with uh, Chotner interviews, where if the phone rings and Isaac Chotner is on the other end and he's like, "Hey, you want to talk to me at the New Yorker?" It's probably best to turn that down because okay. he always seems to find a way to let you talk yourself, talk your own feet directly into your mouth uh, over and over again. <laughs> No matter how smart you think you are, no matter how righteous you think your position is, yeah. this guy is, just seems particularly good at allowing you to reveal yourself to be a dummy. Is he like unassuming? Like you think, oh, 
I got the best of this old geezer or whomever. Yeah, he's is. just he's just a really good interviewer, and right. he he comes with a pile of facts and a pile of questions, but not a lot of judgment, and I think right. does a good job of drawing out the right. Because that right probably, sort of that's that combination is probably disarming, even though you shouldn't be disarmed by somebody interviewing you, uh, and so that they they may get caught. Right. So the case is basically. The United States should have known that any turn toward the West by Ukraine was a red line for Russia. And I think right. that we can actually posit that, right? I think that it is totally acceptable to acknowledge that any turn to NATO, any permanent turn toward the European Union by Ukraine, anything that gets them out of the orbit of the Russians and into the good graces of Europe and right. therefore the United States was going to be something that pissed off the Russians, right? I think that we can we can acknowledge that that is the case. But what, in acknowledging that, you would have to basically also accept that Ukraine is not that sovereign of a nation, right? They can't decide for themselves. Like, what if right. they clean up whatever corruption exists and in a few years they submitted a bid saying, now we have our ducks in a row and we want to join the West? It's their decision. No one is egging them on from the West. They're just wanting to. Right. And so, so in, in part, the response to that would be, well, that's just incredibly naive of, for, for you to say that they're not being egged on, that they, they're just making a free choice. They would say that there's no such thing as a free choice in a multipolar world of absolute great powers, right? right. That, that Ukraine doesn't ever actually make a free choice, whether they're turning towards or away from Russia or towards or away from the EU and America and NATO, that none of those are free choices because of the, the simple fact of the great powers that exist in the world. And right. therefore, because there is no such thing as a sovereign country besides the great powers, is essentially what yeah. they're saying, right? right? That there is no agency that can happen unless you're China or the United States or Russia, that everything else is just... Uh, They're just uh, pawns. Right, just a rigged game that those countries happen to be uh, – yeah, pawns is the right word uh, – uh, players in but not actually uh, participants. That therefore it is like the responsibility of the United States to make sure that Russia doesn't get upset about the so-called free choices made by countries like Georgia, Latvia, uh, Slovenia, any, any of the, the former – USSR states, and especially, perhaps more than any of them, Ukraine, because of, apparently, in part, these largely ahistorical claims made by Putin and his inner circle about the legitimacy of Ukraine even as a sovereign territory, right? right. With this, in, this insistence that he goes on last week about how Ukraine's not actually a state, that Ukraine is made up, that the, that the right. borders were, were just sort of invented and that that it's not a region that should legally exist. And it only exists because of mistakes made by the Bolsheviks and because of an, insistent, an insistence by Western powers uh, to continue propping up a state that shouldn't actually exist. But well, is anyone taking that seriously, though? It is a preposterous pretext that he's just saying just to accomplish what he's wanted to do anyways. And that's why I, I've kind of heard all these arguments as to, you know, maybe we should have just assured Russia 
uh, saying that Ukraine can be sovereign, they can do their own thing, they can start speaking English, they can do whatever they want, but they will not join in the security pact because it's a threat to you. And so to keep the peace, Ukraine can do their own thing, but there's not going to be any path for them to join NATO, right? And so everybody chill out and let's go on living our lives, right? If that was the case, then Putin would still invade or some other schmuck down the road because the reason why he doesn't want them in NATO is so that he has the opportunity to invade. And if you look at it from when Europe cooperated with Putin, the thinking being is if you're trading partners, you're less likely to be attacking one another, right? So we're interconnected, our two societies, like Germany and Russia, right? You give us oil and we do this and blah, blah, blah. That means that you're less likely to do some sort of belligerent, warlike act, right? And what does Putin do? He exploits that interconnectivity, saying that I'm assuming what he was expecting that Germany would drag their feet and slow down the European response or NATO's response because they need that oil to come their way, right? Or the natural gas or whatever to come their way. He exploited that, right? So basically any sort of like goodwill will be exploited. And so I have no doubts that if that agreement was made saying, all right, fine, Ukraine, sorry, but you know, no one's going to die from an invasion, but you can't join NATO and just, that's it. 10 years from now, oh, what is this? Some other pretext. Ukraine is invaded. They're not part of NATO. So like, I have no confidence that any sort of like niceties would have helped in this situation. Yeah. Right? Because he would have just done what he wanted. Because, I mean, wasn't part of his uh, crazy speech about how Ukraine, like you said, it's not really a thing. It's a, a, And he, according to sources, he's wanting to bring the band back together. Right? Ukraine is part of that band, right? Right. So according to sources, out. nothing. According to the words that come out of his mouth uh, just last week when he's talking yeah. about... He also always hedges it where he says, like, if, if your heart is not in uh, the reformation of the... If, if you don't want the USSR to be reformulated, then you don't have a heart. But if you do want it to be reformulated, then you don't have a brain, is something that he often says, and I think said as recently as last week. And that's all well and good, up to the point that you <laughs> invade a sovereign country right. and say that you're going to turn it into a vassal state, right? Right. Like, so, and, and I'll post a link to a really wonderful article that I found by a Ukrainian historian or a, a European historian – which I don't, I won't even bother reading parts of here, but it, it does a takedown. And this is actually from uh, last July or July of uh, 2020 when this was published. And it gives a thorough fact checking of the, the name of the article is, quote, there is no Ukraine fact checking the Kremlin's version of Ukrainian history. And it, it gives a very thorough and easy to follow uh, history of, of that part of the world and why Russia or or Putin and and the current Kremlin makes these sorts of claims, and what specifically is wrong about them, and it was it was a good read, and I right. highly recommend that you go read it, because it is in fact uh, largely ahistorical for Putin to be making those claims, all the way down to reasons of language and and old censuses and all sorts of cool stuff that's that's worth learning about. What uh, what more do you think? The people who are still making the the argument that maybe we push 
you know, the Western alliance pushed Putin into this in a corner uh, because so far being overly accommodating did not produce any positive outcome, right? It just kind of delayed what was going to happen. Maybe Putin is just a dick. Maybe he just wants what he wants, and when he sees an opportunity, he'll take it, right? Maybe that's the read. I don't know. Again, there are a lot smarter people who are making the, the claim that you said that maybe there was some sort of uh, miscalculation on the West, but it, to me it seems like this was his plan all along. And he was just finding it also, an opportunity. It's also like just a total reject. And I and I know it's fucking naive and it's sort of parochial of me to have these feelings. But it is it's a total rejection of the whole liberal project, right? Yeah. Like not not the American project. This is a it's a complete rejection of the possibility of a, a new global order, of right. of what it means to be a liberal society. And that like, you know, like since the end of the war. Right, since the end of World War II, but also going back to the ideals that 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 founded the Enlightenment, right? Uh, Lockean understanding of of human freedom and a, a Jeffersonian notion, and and the idea of nation states. Like, yeah, sure. If you if you think nation states are bad, which I sort of do, but I also think they're sort of inevitable, right? So, like, right. nation states are bad, but we're not going to not have them. Right. And so, in an ideal sort of world, you have governments that are elected by a reasonable bunch of the populace, who then sends representatives to represent them at the at the global level, and then all of those people get together and try to make the world work in a, in a reasonable way. Right. And to say that, at, no, actually what's happening here is American hegemony is, is at constant work in the same way that, like, white supremacy is, right? right. In the same way that, <laughs> that the, the male patriarchy actually secretly dominates every single uh, moment and breath that we live on in this earth, according to certain people. Right. That is what that that the American imperialist project uh, must be resisted at all times, and if it cannot be resisted, then you you must at least sort of have this cynical understanding that there is no such thing as agency unless you're American, right? That right. that Ukraine can't actually make a turn to the West that isn't a forced choice, and that that choice must be being forced by an evil imperialist America. But but couldn't it also be the case that like it is good when nations get together in economic alliances and, yeah. and defensive military alliances that say we will not be overrun by tyrants. Like, uh, have we no fucking backbone? And and that like, and I was giving the Biden administration credit at the top of the show because I do think that they've done a they did a very good job at the start of this, but the tone that he struck at the start of the State of the Union last night like ate at me all day long. Oh, yeah? And Not a big fan of the open? It's this sort of Obama-ian certainty about how the future is going to judge what's happening now, right? right. That that Putin has already lost. Like, like history will judge Putin as Harsh. a great monster, right. right? Like, yeah, sure. But all that is is moral grandstanding, right? All that is is saying, hey, me, you, the good guys— they're going to look favorably on us. Right. That, but but Putin, what is he doing? They're not going to like him. They didn't like they don't like Stalin, they don't like Hitler and they're not going to like Putin 150 fucking years from now. Well, what good is that? 
Like, <laughs> right, but, in what in what possible world does that make the world a better place here and now and today? Right? Yeah, insisting today, no, no impact, that, insisting yeah. that, that the future is going to have found us good and them wanting does nothing for what's happening in the world now. And I despise that sort of rhetoric when it comes to foreign policy because it does absolutely nothing except comfort the people in his own coalition. It does nothing but comfort the, the American populace at a time when we should be made to feel uncomfortable about the aggression of someone like Putin, right? I, we should not be made to feel comfortable right. about Putin's adventurism in terms of going into a sovereign nation and taking it over. And, and to compare it to the, the shitty adventurism of the Bush administration is easy and, like, childishly wrong. And it drives me up a fucking wall. Because the project of neoconservatism was not the sort of project that Vladimir Putin is taking part in right now. And if, if you need that explained to you, you won't appreciate the explanation coming out of my mouth. You will just reject right. it out of hand. Right. Like, if I have to tell it to you, then it's already too late for you. Right. And you must have considered it for you. Like, yeah, I never understood that line of argument. I just chalk it up to just contrarianism and whatever. But do you not think that based on the set of facts right now, which is basically this, like Ukraine is not a part of NATO, like the U.S. is not duty bound to uh, assist them militarily. Right. Uh, that would bring about World War III if they did so. And there's sanctions already underway. They're going to continue to ratchet them up. And so the timing of the speech, I'm assuming they pushed the timing of the State of the Union to hopefully get a full house, maskless, and they're able to achieve it. Uh, questionable timing, but whatever. But they weren't counting on this war, kind of dominating the first 15, 20 minutes of it, right? And so in the speech, what do you say based on those limitations, right? No military op option, that's off the table. Sanctions are already being implemented, so you have to have a very strong message. And so this is the calculation they came up with. Let's just say there's a lot of people, for whatever reason, who think highly of Putin. Like, yeah, he's a piece of shit, but he's a calculated person. Russia was in the shitters in the 90s, and he stabilized it, and blah, blah, blah. So there's like this weird respect that people have for this strongman, right? And so the argument is like history. This action is such a miscalculation that all of that is going to be undone. All of that begrudging respect for Putin and his thuggish ways, calculated thuggish ways, is going to be undone based on this unprovoked, full out. It just does assault. nothing. It, it. The point is not that there's something else that should have been said. It's that that should not be said, right? I'm right. not saying that there's a right way of handling this. I'm not saying that but we should... But without that, it's basically shit, tough shit, guys. I mean, you're getting bummed, right? I mean, like, what do you think that... I guess maybe it would have just been a shorter part of the speech just to kind of point to the representative. It just does, it does, it, for me, it does. It, it has the opposite effect of like – because I, I just don't think that there's any virtue in talking about how we are the virtuous and they are the unvirtuous and history right. will judge them harshly. Like right. don't give me the long arc of the universe bullshit. It right. doesn't help with anything and except to elevate you personally, to elevate us, to make us feel better about ourselves and for them and, and, and as though somehow it's going to make them feel worse about themselves. Like right. it just has it's thoughts and prayers but packaged in a in a slightly different sort of way. 
and it just drives me up a wall. So, so there was one, uh, I think it was Lloyd Blank Fine or whatever. He had this uh, suggestion as to like how Biden could have better presented the argument. Who is as that? To, is that is he the, former head of Goldman yeah, he Sachs like or CEO something? Yeah, he was CEO of some finance, some company, right? But he said Biden could have better explained why you, the U.S. supports Ukraine beyond morality. And he was suggesting that the that he referenced FDR metaphor of lend lease before World War II, which is basically this quote. It says, "If your neighbor's house is on fire, you lend him your fire hose, not just for friendship, but because sparks from his burning house could ignite yours." Basically, saying like that is not your problem now, like and and these are your friends, and so help them in whatever way you can, other than militarily, but do so also because this could be a one step closer to the next thing because who's to say that he doesn't want to stop in ukraine right he wants to keep encroaching basically kind of right well then make that then make that case joe biden and the administration don't stop short don't like we have we we've done a lot in terms of sanctions and i think there's a lot of credit due to countries all over the world uh in terms of uh attempting to do economic harm to russia in this moment and all for the best but the fact is that we have not done everything, right? We have not stopped buying oil from Russia because that would hurt too much, right? right? We have that oppor- that is still a card that can be played. And what you do at the State of the Union when you're the president of the United States and you don't, you're not the sort of president who takes this op- the opportunity to give big addresses otherwise, right? right. He's just not done this. Right. He sometimes does an afternoon press conference or an afternoon speech, but he doesn't do the from the Oval Office, it's 8.15, and all the networks are going to cover me because I'm the big dick here. Right? He, he hasn't, hasn't done been that so far, it. right? In one year, it hasn't been like a address the nation? Right. None of that. Not even for George Floyd or any of those kind of incidents? There was never a... He wasn't president with George Floyd. Oh, that's right. Well, some other guy who got shot. I'm sure that's happened last year. Right. There have been moments where you think, including as recently as this... The whole Russia thing, where you think maybe we'll get a presidential address here, and and they'll it's it's sort of it's the sort of thing that a president does when he's trying to lay his big dick on the table, basically, right? right? You don't want to do it too often. You don't want to uh, thunder and lightning and not and not produce any rain, right. but but you got to uh, from time to time. But but given that he has the the platform, the State of the Union, sort of built into the schedule, that's when you take the opportunity to say, look. This is going to be painful. We've, we, we're doing the stupid strategic oil reserve release of 30 million barrels here and 60 million barrels across the country. But the fact of the matter is this is going to hurt because it fucking sucks when giant powers go to war against their neighbors, right? That, that right. It has ramifications in a global economy, and we might want to be economic protectionists. There might be an instinct for protectionism and isolationism in a sort of theoretical way. But the reality of the world is that we're all wildly interconnected and that we cannot escape the sort of punishment that we're about to be dealt by Russia doing what they're doing. But what we can do is we can welcome it and 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 try to fight through it. And so we're not going to buy any energy from Russia right. for the next year. As long as this is going on, we are done interacting with Russia's economy, period. And that that's not... Uh, some fucking bartender pouring out the the half empty stoli into the bottom of the uh, the bar well, right? That's right. not the 
a bunch of fucking ballets saying they're not going to put on Tchaikovsky or something. Right. It's not not teaching Dostoevsky in school. It's a meaningful thing that uh, the biggest economies in the world can do and force them to rely entirely on China and and force China to say, yeah, we think it's fine, actually, that Russia is allowed to just take over Ukraine. And then you can start a project at home of saying basically what Joe Manchin said and all of the above energy policy that doesn't include Russia, right? So we're going we're gonna to figure out how to start building nuclear plants in this. You can say all of that shit. Right. You, you can say we're going to drill, baby, drill. You do all of that because that's how we're going. That's how you, you feel helpless. And, and instead of feeling helpless— we can actually do something. And if it means paying 5 or $6 a gallon for gas, that's going to suck. But we're going to pass a fucking stimulus package in the next six months before uh, we get to November, by the way. Uh, convenient. And, and we're going to help defray those costs. Right. And, and in the meantime, you know, we'll do what we can. But Do you think that those options are being held back for a possible, like, very clear and— uh, like a big war crime event, like if Russia's captured on some sort of video footage of them dropping some barrel bomb or some ridiculous thing on civilians, and basically it's like crystal clear that this is a war crime, and then you will have buy-in for the. I don't think that I don't think that we have the balls. We don't have the we don't have the appetite for it in this country. The reason that the Biden administration doesn't do the thing that I just suggested that they do is because they think they would be roasted for it. They think that they would be punished for it. They don't think that they have the ability to unify the public in the way that I think is possible. And maybe they're right. Maybe they're absolutely right. Right, but don't you think you have to make the connections to why it's important to Americans? To take to absorb these costs, and, and just to, just to just to finish the thought, and instead, what we get is we're just morally superior to them, and history is going to judge oh, them to yeah, be monsters yeah, and us yeah. to be good. Right? Yeah, within that so framework, yeah, that, 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 yeah, that's what yeah. we get as the alternative, and right. that that's what really pissed me off last night. But, right, I, I think you're right on on that criticism, but I was just anytime something is presented. In public, I'm assuming there are reasons why they haven't done it. Like, wasn't there, uh, like, Germany wasn't all the way sold on some measure, and it took, and it, basically that wasn't part of the initial imposition of sanctions. And then, I, I don't know, Russia, I guess, did something to piss them off, and now they changed their position and basically kind of allow different countries to reach the same conclusions without being too pushy. And so maybe yeah, that's like, fine. But right. what can the United States do? The United States so, can stop importing energy from Russia okay. today. So on that front, let me ask you, because I actually don't know the answer to this, because it is a connected global environment, right? So virus is somewhere else and it comes here. Gas problems over there. We, you pay for it here. So everything is interconnected. And what is the virtue of importing gas and whatever from other countries that are harming the climate change effort, right? And then you yourself are not doing it at home, right? Like what if they just said, we'll just drill in wherever in America, there's going to be some harm to the environment, but basically there's harm in the, on the environment where we're getting whatever oil we're getting from Russia and other places, right? So like this is actually going to set us back a year, in our efforts to combat climate change, but basically, we're, we need to offset this short shortage, right? 
Like, would that be unpalatable for a lot of people on the left to say that, hey, look, that Russian oil, that Russian gas that we're getting, it's not like they were doing it in, in like the most environmentally friendly way, right? And right. so I never understood why that is the case. It's like, oh, this is beneath us to do at home because we're like a right. green well, country. Well, it's just classic – it's classic not in my backyard shit that if we're not – you know, if we don't have to look at the oil refineries, then – it must not be that bad. Right, but we're – like by importing this, we're contributing comparably to what we would if it was happening, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere in America, right? Right. And so like you, do you think that there would be buy-in there to say like um, exceptional measures call for blah, blah, blah. So two things I'm going to do, get rid of the gas tax uh, and uh, – I mean they've already released some of the reserves, but also drill in – very specific places for a very period of time for the purpose of stabilizing the price of gas because it's a very regressive kind of thing where it impacts people who don't have as much money, right? So yeah, I don't you, know. I, I, you do that I or you I, subsidize maybe, but that would maybe fuck up inflation. I don't know. There's there's no good option, but I'm not sure if just staying letting the gas prices go up to whatever, $5 in the summer – is the right answer? Right. I just think that it would be, first of all, it would be politically prudent of him to prepare us for the worst and then have not, the, when, when it comes to the, the inflationary right. concerns and the gas concerns, that it would be prudent politically ahead of this election where he's just going to get demolished. He, By uh, the way, I know everybody, it, I understand why it's connected to him. He's not on the ballot, but basically his party is going to get demolished, right? And he's, sure. you know, he, he's not on the ballot. Sure. When the Democrats get demolished and they lose 40 or 50 or 60, like whatever the number ends up being, where it's enough, whatever it is, it will be enough to Well, it won't be that because, right, I mean, the way that they've right. done the restructuring, right, right. they'll, they'll just have like a 10-seat majority or whatever. But there'll be a sure. bunch of crazy But it doesn't coups. matter, right? By uh, the way, ultimate, as we said last week, it doesn't matter. They don't want 50, 60-seat majorities. They want one-seat majorities. Right. But if they do get one or five, you know, the margins won't be great. But the composition will be significant, right? Because you have two crazy people, you know, heckling the president at, in the State of the Union. You're going to probably have like five more people that are going to be elected this fall who are of that type, right? And so they're getting positive reinforcement from not only is there no reprimand for the actions, but they're getting actually uh, voted into office. They're like, yeah, more of that, right, right. behavior. So it just seems like it would just be a more corrosive kind of environment. The rest of the State of the Union I thought was uh, largely forgettable. and right. State of the Union. And, and meaningless. Did you, I think did, the one surprise – you're right. I mostly agree with you. The one surprise was I didn't hear, read anything about this plan where – and maybe it's not going to be ready yet because he threw in some sort of like Congress needs to fund this, but – the idea of the new phase of just let's get back to normal, no masks, no nothing. But if you test positive at a pharmacy, they just give you the thing. Uh, and yeah, basically, you, basically you, get, you get tested and treated in, in short order. Uh, that's when he said something like, I've ordered more pills than anyone in history in a very, very Trumpian turn right. of phrase. But I think, I, I think that's – I suspect his advisors are telling him, under un other circumstances, all of these resume bullet points would look good. Like the job creation, even though you're basically just kind of, 
you had a historic job loss a year before because of a once in a century pandemic. So obviously, you can have millions of jobs. They're not right. necessarily new jobs, but whatever. You get credit for it because that's how this stupid system works. And so they're saying you need to hammer these points over and over again because it seems like everybody just feels like things are bad. And so like if you say historic things, the deficit is cut, sunshines and rainbows, blah, blah, blah. Basically, it's like, and maybe that will work to some people. I don't know. Maybe he's like, we yeah, need to I prop if, up. If, if you think taking a mask off Nancy Pelosi as she's sitting back there behind the president <laughs> is, is helping your coalition, I think you're confused. Right. But, but maybe they, maybe they, they think uh, Democrats on uh, in the country don't have anything to kind of hang their hat on or point to something, right? So maybe it's like if we just give them a lot of the stuff, they can just say, oh, the economy or whatever. Like, I don't know. But yeah, it was yeah. otherwise a – Typical State of the Union kind of thing. And also, on the State of the Union front, I've watched every State of the Union since whatever, since I've been here. And at the end of one of the analysis shows, I think CNN or CBS, they said, okay, we're going to have like some uh, instant polls coming out. And they do this preamble about how traditionally uh, p- the, the composition of the viewers are basically people who are part of that party, right? So like, when Trump is in office, it's more likely that Trump people are going to watch. Right. Trump, it's a Trump-friendly crowd. When there's a Democrat in office, it's a Democratic-friendly crowd. Right. Yeah. Right. So basically they're saying is the number is going to skew based on that. But So people just tune out when some other guy is in office? I, don't, I mean, it's once a year. It's not going to kill you just to watch an hour. Right. It's in prime time. I didn't watch, or live anyway, I didn't watch any of the responses. How you know that the Democratic that the, that the Democrats are in trouble is that they have three different responses to <laughs> a presidential State of the Union from right. their own party. Right. Like <laughs> if the the word you're looking for is uh, is dis- if if the Trump was was dis- a disordered presidency, then this is the presidency of disarray when it comes to uh, a coherent messaging. But apparatus. it's partly because there's such a broad coalition of people that think differently. I mean, maybe that's the spin that they're going to go with uh, at the White House. I was House. Gonna say, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking right? about? Because it's because of the diversity. What you did see. What did you make of Biden co-opting a lot of the Republican stuff? Because maybe this is why there were so many responses uh, afterwards on the Democratic side because maybe they got a. a, a so, so I think a that that's overstated a little bit. I, I think it's a little overstated because this is who he has always been. No, no, he was I'm not never, saying he has changed. He was never a defund. He was never a defund no, no. guy. He, yeah, he and, is and this consistent. idea that somehow he's pivoted away from defund the police is just a lie. He's never like going back to 2020. He was never a defund he, guy. He, yeah, Biden has never been that. But the the strategy on the right is to paint the Democratic Party as being for defunding the police and being lax at the board, all of these things, right? And so basically he is asserting, like, this is the position of this administration. Like, doesn't matter what you hear on MSNBC. Yeah, I, think, I think that it doesn't matter. I think right. that, it does, it, that we're not in a position where that sort of politics matters anymore, that, that we've, we've come to a point in American politics where it, it is just fundamentally about the letter next to your name. And it... it there's nothing that he's going to do that is going to persuade. I mean, yes, there How is still the, the, the persuadable independence. Right. But because I think that you, what you will find with independent and, and, 
and I don't know, but I think that what you're going to find with independent voters moving forward, and, and you can the only evidence that I have of this is the last five or six years, right? But I think you're going to find that they just don't like whoever's in charge. And right. So we're going to have the Democrats, we're going to have the Republicans, and then the independents are just going to be the people who are dissatisfied with whatever team is in charge. And you can see that where Trump's constant uh, approval rating, you know, it sank as low as 37, 36, 37, I think, after right. Charlottesville. Right. But in the in, once the wake from that settled, he hovered around 43, 47% or something like that for the bulk of his presidency. And that's where Joe Biden is, right? Right. And Joe Biden, it, not to say that he's been a good president or a great president or anything like that, but he, it hasn't been a disaster. Right. And, and for him to only have an approval rating down in the 40s right now. As low as 37 in some polls, but yeah, right. like the average is around 40. Is the very low, but but in, in the 40s, according to the averages, right. is is sort of inexplicable in the in, in the broader scope of presidential politics. Uh, it's not like there's been this big disaster, and but, it's, it's I mean, so, sort of hard to explain. Basically, the disaster, the big one is the Afghanistan pullout, not the decision to pull out, but the way the pullout whose happened. Mind is, who, whose mind is that on? Like, and... and Credit right, but to I think the it, Democrats it, for not focusing on it. Right, and yeah, it was a disaster. But like nobody's talking about. But that. I think I think that double whammy that sunk his approval rating happened in August. Basically, the Delta strains like mission accomplished, independence from the whatever. The early part of summer looked promising. The masks are off. Everybody's back to normal. And then this new strain came, and it's like fuck. We thought we're out of this. So this whole this sucks thing and then you see that plane with all the people running around it it's like what the fuck is yeah. going on i think that is like if you look at the polls it was like you know hovering in the high 40s low 50s and then it just it just went down so he needs something in other words he needs something positive to escape the the gravity of of having been pulled down in the first place and i think you're probably right, right. about that and there's not going to be a lot of positivity no matter what you convince the CDC to do in terms of uh, suddenly discovering uh, all sorts of new science and and allowing the majority of the country to take off their masks, I don't think that – like you need something big and good or something big and bad that he can strongly react to. And it, it's not clear that that's forthcoming. Right. And, and, and I was thinking like, like it seems like Biden has like three paths forward. Like the – it's either a – uh, Jimmy Carter path where a lot of shit happens and he doesn't kind of meet the moment and he, he just kind of gets caught up and then he's out after one term. The JFK thing, he eats shit, bay pigs, and then he stabilizes things afterwards. I mean, the he gets JFK shot later. Thing where he gets shot. Right. Then he gets shot. But before the getting the shot part. The consequences for some board decisions that were made. And then the third option, which I think is the most likely path he's taking, is the Clinton path. Basically, because the first two years were. Didn't go too well. They ate a lot of shit in the '94 election. We're not reelecting this guy. Right. We are. Ab- that <laughs> well, is we'll that is insane. I'm telling you, his his instincts. I mean, he he stumbles and says a lot of shit a lot, but he does seem to have like kind of have a sense of like where people are, and that's why I think he asserted fund the police, protect the border. All of those things are basically if somebody's listening to it, like maybe Joe Manchin, but they're like, yeah, talk about that. Right. And so I think yeah. he's pivoting. I mean, not pivoting. He hasn't changed his positions, but he's basically asserting what he's always believed. Um, and so 
it's going to be one of those three. Right? But I think you're right. He's not going to be some 82-year-old president, right? He's going to find he's going to find an off-ramp somewhere. I'm trying to decide if I made clear enough my position on whether or not the West is to blame for what's happening in Ukraine. And I don't think that I said it explicitly, but I, I don't agree with that analysis that right. it is in fact the West that is to blame. Uh, it, it's a very uh, abusive relationship kind of uh, framing. Like, look what you made me do. Like, what do you mean? You did it. You did the thing. You did the invasion. Like, come on. Right. And it, it robs. It's and, like and, abuser. And, it's like domestic abuser. Yeah. It's right. like if and you it's, didn't do this, and I wouldn't the idea have done that. that. It's, the idea that it's anything like if the United States, if, if Canada or Mexico were to go into some sort of uh, mutual defense alliance with China, what would the United States do? You know, we have the Monroe Doctrine. Like, we're going to do what needs to be done to make sure that our sphere of influence is maintained here in the entire Western Hemisphere. If and that's even a lot, a Right. I mean, it's a hypothetical. A lot, there, but the sure, it's a hypothetical and it's absurd. <laughs> but there's a, I think that it is appealing in a certain way because we, we would not accept it, right? right? But the difference is that we're not a fucking autocratic piece of shit kleptocratic nation that is interested in taking over Canada, that is attempting to invade Mexico. Like, it's just, I always fall back. And and yeah, I admit my own parochial biases here. I admit that that I I believe in the possibility of nation states coming together and making these sorts of arrangements in the best interest of their people. And I believe that for all of our faults, and they are many and they are are infinite, uh, for all of our faults, we're not fucking Russia. Right. Like Except, we're not I mean the 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 more realistic example is Cuba, right? I mean basically it's like we're like there's no way you're going to have nuclear weapons 90 miles off the coast of Florida and there was a blockade and it's like if we all have to die, we all have to die. Let's play this game of chicken and everybody said okay, fuck that. Right, but that's when we were that we were engaged in actual existential potentially existential combat right. where it was conceivable that one of us Either of us, either of those two nations would be willing to permanently end the other. And it's no longer conceivable that that is the that is the mission or mandate of the United States. Right. Say what you will about the evils of of hegemonic capitalism as employed by the United States. Say what you will about the American century and whether or not you think the the Pax Americana is a thing or just a myth or just sort of a convenient uh, coincidence of, of, of time and history where, where there was less – because of America's hegemonic power that there was less global conf- conflict uh, rather than more. Right. It seems like rather – no, in fact, the liberal, the liberal order of, the, of the, the post-World War II global order has actually been good. And and we are, we are not the imperialist monsters in in the way that imperialism has been known to be understood throughout all of history, right? right? Where you actually go and you create vassal states and colonies and take over places. That's not our thing. It's just not what we're doing. And I mean, whatever. I I recognize that I I just sound like a stupid flag waving American when I <laughs> you don't sound go. like that. You you just are saying the same thing over and over again. Also, you're not waving any flags for the listeners right now. Yeah. Right. I hate fucking flags. Like it would be, it would, I, 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 the notion of putting a flag on my mailbox disgusts me. I want to uh, talk quickly about the fact that 
the thing that you care about is not everything else. Yes, like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so there was a, and this was this was put very succinctly by uh, Jane Coaston, who does a podcast, I think, somewhere in the New York Times family of podcasts. Oh. She's a journalist. She tweeted this on the 28th of February. Uh, not everything is about your thing. Your thing isn't everything. Not everything needs to be tied back to your thing. That's what she said. That's a message for all grad students everywhere, by right. the way. Right. And that grad yeah. student. They they cannot see. And it's what happens when you spend all day studying one thing. Yeah. It was a response. You. It was a response to, and I hadn't seen that when I started complaining about this. And then eventually I see this tweet and I was like, oh yeah, she she put it exactly correctly. What Jane Coaston is getting at is the same thing that I had been saying to you a few minutes before I found her tweet, which is, like, we should never underestimate the ability of humans to reframe the chaotic and, like, difficult-to-understand world and disparate world events happening all over the globe and reframe them into uh, your own personal domain of alleged expertise, uh, like, especially among the most educated among us. Right, like the it's almost a it is as Laurie's saying about grad students, it is a problem it's particularly a problem. of of people with almost too much schooling, and uh, it happened countless. I mean, the reason that it becomes a tw- thing for Jane Coaston to complain about is because she's going through her Twitter feed, and everyone who is an expert in one thing is actually now saying how this thing that's happening in Ukraine is about the thing that they care most about. But also, I thought what prompted that was there were a few tweets and stories where there was one story where a trans Ukrainian, like a trans woman or man from Ukraine. Wait a second. Just to be clear. Trans-Ukrainian. I identify as Ukrainian. (laughs) I've never been there, and my family's never been there, but I identify and I would like to refer to as Ukrainian, please. Okay. (laughs) Not Lori's example, but this person was a, I'm sorry, trans-Ukrainian person, but either a trans woman or trans man, something. And the story was framed around, like, they can't cross the border because some paperwork isn't, I don't know. There was that, and then there was the uh, there were some. So, so the way so so the way that that would be framed on NPR, yeah, is that uh, this war is having a disproportionate impact <laughs> on the LGBTQ community, right? Because they found because this like, and I'm not exaggerating, right? Right. Because that is always how they frame it: is if you can find someone out of a group of ten people, right, and one of them is trans, and they are all suffering the same fate, and you know that. Fewer than 10% of the worldwide community is trans, right? Right. But 10% of the group impacted is trans. Then you can then make your entire story about how this horror is befalling trans people disproportionately. And I would just like to point out that anytime you hear that phrase, this is having a disproportionate impact on insert victim group here. It is almost always... Complete bullshit. <laughs> there was that, and there was also some uh, stories and tweets about, like, there were some black people in Ukraine who they were being mistreated. There were some conflicting reports. I still don't know which way the story goes, but apparently there was some video where 
they were letting people into the bus, and then they would not let the black people in the bus, and then there was some explanation for it, but the optics looked back, and so people on Twitter made it a thing. Like, wait, Ukraine is not all great. They're racist. And so basically it's like everything is like the opinions people have is shaped through the lens that they see it. So like if they're LBGT right stuff, like they have to kind of frame it through that lens, even though it's about a war in Ukraine and the same thing with the there's racism everywhere kind of thing. And I thought that maybe they were reacting to that and I'm sure other types of commentary where they're saying something about their thing. Uh, and right. it's, it kind of almost reminds me that what is that expression with the uh, to a hammer everything looks like a nail this seems to be like an yep. inverse of it it's like everything is like oppressing you like you specifically right. you're like the nail and everything else is a hammer even though the hammer is like doing something else my favorite genre of tweet in the immediate aftermath of, of Russia going into Ukraine was the self-declared empaths who say as an empath yeah like I can I can barely get out of fucking bed this morning because I'm just so consumed with all these feelings that I'm ha- like get over yourself I, you man again this is what I always say people assuming other people's hardship like and maybe I'm saying that because I'm like constituted as an asshole but like you know I consume information very like oh well look at that right I'm not like having problems getting up from bed or taking a shower or eating my breakfast like I'm just like okay this sucks for them right Right. And what's curious to me about that that framing is that cuz then there are people who say I don't read the news because there's it will just make me feel bad and there's nothing that I can do about it. Right. Like so what are you saying that I read the news and there's nothing that I can do about it but I must not be a very good person because I don't feel bad enough right. not to read the news? Yeah. Like what <laughs> like there's They're a not saying anything about you that's saying something about themselves. Right, I know. But there there's what I'm saying is that the reason to examine that sort of statement about yourself is because what it is that you're also saying about other people, right? right. And it, it's not that you have some sort of unique ability to feel that <laughs> that means no, that you cannot that it's take just in the news. People are different, and some people consume things differently. Sure, and it's more worth it for some people than others. Sure, I just, and it's not saying anything about anyone else to say something about yourself necessarily. Uh, it's just declaring that you are perfectly happy to be ignorant of <laughs> the goings on in the world. Some although, people are perfectly happy to be. That although way. I will say, if the news disrupts your life, so then yes, avoid it. Right? Because <laughs> don't absorb. There are that. a lot of people. Yeah, don't who be a need baby stop though. Reading the I know, but news. failing they that, can't. They avoid can't the news. That it's just how it is. The best tweet in the genre of people making world events about their particular bugaboo is from the idiot Brett Weinstein, who tweeted, What could a public health mogul possibly get for a billionaire oligarch to express proper gratitude for starting a truly mesmerizing war just in the nick of time? And and that's a tweet in which Brett Weinstein is suggesting that Tony Fauci owes a debt of gratitude to... Vladimir Putin for taking all of the focus as though all of the world were ready to come down on Tony Fauci right. and, they almost and had him. give give Fauci a trial or something or string him up by his toes. But then Vlad comes in and saves Tony Fauci's butt. Which is worse, that or old man, I can't believe he's still alive, Pat Robertson saying that this is all part of God's plan to usher in the end I of mean, days? part of God's plan is pretty standard. Okay. It's pretty standard, like, 
it, what the fuck can you there's nothing good to say so it's all god works mysterious ways right. boy god uses a lot always, of imperfect vessels to achieve his it's uh, always god's plan to be clear <laughs> i'm telling you not I mean, that's a good what they plan say after children get shot in schools right. so. i don't see the full it's picture great. but if what they're saying is true also happy ash plan. wednesday everyone <laughs> oh yeah that is it's ash wednesday what oh, are you yeah. giving up gambling Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I saw Biden had his little ash thing. Uh, I didn't have that, but I will, yes, give up. Not for, uh, is it 40 days? Just for 40 days. What's that? Yeah. Just till Next 40 years. Yeah, that's what I'll do. 40 months, rather. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. You can find the show on Facebook or Twitter. Head over to brainiron.com. You can send an email to brainironpodcast at gmail.com. We got some feedback oh. on an episode that we recorded back in July. Wow, wow, someone's really behind. I'm behind a few episodes, but someone is bored. Wow. <laughs> it was. Uh, I have some other podcasts that they could listen to. All the, instead. Uh, our episodes uh, the, perish uh, very quickly because a lot of our takes, especially how six, dare seven you? The ago. takes are good. I had to go back and listen to the episode just to make sure. Okay, which fact, one was it? It was Body Horror Vacation. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In which we discussed the Amy Cooper, Christian Cooper, bird-watching redux, basically. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's right. We then then discussed the guy who shouted the Colorado Rockies mascot's name. (laughs) Boomer or whatever. Dinger. 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 And they they thought that it was a racial slur. That's right. He said it so confidently. There was no way he was saying that. (laughs) Right. Anyway... Some stranger who I don't know apparently listened to that episode of the show and oh, wrote weird. and wrote me like a fucking essay <gasps> about why we were wrong. About what? About the dinger? In, uh, about, about everything. About how about everything. we shouldn't be trying to exonerate Amy Cooper and that by... Oh, I didn't try to do no, that. No, no, no. And then also that he don't said... Don't we. Don't we when I'm around. Sure. We... Uh, you. You were wrong. All right, relax, lady. I wasn't wrong, first of all. Uh, I'm just saying that this person is saying that you were wrong. Is this person an uh, apparent male? Uh, yeah, evident male, yes. <laughs> According to his screen name, but I don't know. Dude, bro, uh, anyway. He identifies as Ukrainian. But what's funny, like, and I, incur- obviously I'm happy that there's somebody out there who listened and felt so compelled to respond to us that they typed out a long, like, five-paragraph response on our website, which you can do as well if you go to brainiron.com. And any episode, we have a page there, and you have the ability to comment. Uh, I have to approve the comment because, like, half of the shit that comes in is, like, a weird Russian sex worker spam. Uh, you're censoring... Maybe Ukrainian, you don't know. You're censoring Russian sex worker, Bob? Is that your position? I am indeed censoring <laughs> Russian Russian sex workers. Uh, but anyway, you can comment there. And I'm, I'm obviously happy to get any sort of feedback along those lines. I will say, though, almost all of the feedback that I see about things that we have said is... It's like... Asked and answered, man. Like, like, <laughs> and this happens to me online a lot, and it's why I stopped commenting on Facebook, where it's like I would type a long – like it's not like I'm just thinking of these things for the first time. I know yeah. it seems like It's that. also not like you're just throwing words on a page. Right. You spend days right. crafting right. a if Facebook I write, comment. If I write a blog, it like I didn't miss a word. Like if right. you think that I missed a word right. – that 
you need to figure out how it is that you missed the word. Right. Because in all likelihood, it wasn't my mistake. Not to say that I'm perfect, but like I picked that word on purpose and for a reason. And if you're mad about it, then think uh, 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 you need to look in, inside. Too goddamn look, bad. Look to yourself. Bob not is to so me. confident in this. He's putting up a million dollars if anyone finds a typo going back. <laughs> That's right. It's yours. It's a million rubles, <laughs> yes, actually. I think I can. I, I can cover that. Uh, no, you can't. <laughs> anyway, the, the point is that. Like so often when I type out a long, thoughtful Facebook response to something that somebody said and then they like and I can see them and I, like I type the thing or I post the thing and then it's like, ah, somebody's typing a response to this. Yeah. And it's like a wall of text that happens. And it's like, man, if you just look like I did all of this. Yes. Like I you're responding to some other version of me in your head. You're not actually responding to anything that I said. And if you go to the website the brainiron.com you can find the episode the body horror vacation episode and in my opinion you can read through this person's comment and none of the things that he's criticizing us for are things that we actually said like we we made things very explicit what our position was and he's just saying no you're wrong about these things it's like well but those weren't the things that we said what was the crux of his uh point like was there a specific look at it Hang on. Um, $9,803.92 currently is the 1 million rubles. Wow. Uh, so, no, we're not <laughs> putting right, we up can't, any. Give me time. We could, uh, we put it <laughs> together. Nope, but, nope. I mean, I don't want to, that's the thing. I don't want to read the whole five paragraphs here. No, but basically he says that we're trying to vindicate Amy Cooper by throwing shade on Christian Cooper. And this is despite the fact that I very much made clear that I was not trying to vindicate right. Amy Cooper, that I believe that her actions were far worse than anything that Christian Cooper did, except that I just wanted to point out that by all of the available evidence, Christian Cooper seemed like he was also being sort of an asshole. Not not an asshole on a plane right. with Amy Cooper, right. but just sort of being an asshole. Not an airplane, like a... Like a level playing field right. plane. And him being uh, an asshole did didn't... not invite her escalating by calling the cops or whatever, right? I mean, right, right. Yeah. But, oh, oh, but again, okay, okay, asked okay, and answered. Okay, okay, okay. I encourage you yeah. to go back and listen to that episode. It was episode number 66 of Cast Iron Brains. I mean, not that we like, uh, not that we send these off for the podcast Emmys or whatever, <laughs> but I listened to the whole thing. Yeah. That was a fucking good episode yeah. of this podcast. Uh, plus, I get a really hot take in about Simone Biles, and we argue about that for like 20 minutes, and that was <laughs> yeah. fun. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> anyway, something we didn't talk about this week that I meant to is... I hate when you say that. I, I know. so much when you say it's that. It's your favorite thing. Is it's that your, your way of saying, here's what I have to say, and nobody else gets to say anything about no, it. No, I just... You're fucking dick. I think it's really funny... That we get to this point in the pandemic and the New York Times has revealed that it uh, turns out that the vaccines didn't work on 5 to 11-year-olds, right. which is really, really great. Not as well uh, as they wanted, but they're not dying. Not just not, not as well not, as not they like wanted. Not like the cabbie suggested, right? They're not dying. No, no, they didn't kill anybody. Right. But And I'll just read this quickly from, uh, from the New York Times. 
Headline, Pfizer shot is far less effective in 5 to 11-year-olds than in older kids. New data show. Now, this is data that's actually been around for a little while. They didn't want to put it out into the wild because, of course, experts worried that the news would further dissuade hesitant parents from immunizing their children. It's like... Uh, but why then are we immunizing our children? Right. <laughs> if, as it turns out, uh, the vaccine has no impact on stopping them from getting the Omicron variant, and the Omicron variant is 99.5% of what's being transmitted out there, then, uh, like, are we just trying to get this vaccine as some sort of uh, religious totem or something? Right. Like, because if it's not effective, then why are we so worried about children 5 to 11 not getting it? And here's the, the heart of it is that because when you do all of these studies to figure out efficacy and all of that, first of all, they're doing it on a previous variant, right? So they did yeah. it on, on Delta or the other one, and then it's, it, this is all data based on the Omicron surge. But in addition to that, when, once you let something like this out into the wild— you go from studying a couple of hundred kids in a relatively controlled environment, right, to and, – and it doesn't matter how good you double-blind the study. It doesn't – the fact is you're only doing it with a small portion of the population, right? And when you put it out in the wild, you suddenly get much better data. So in their study, Dr. Rosenberg and his colleagues analyzed data from 852,384 newly fully vaccinated children aged 12 to 17 and 365,000 children aged 5 to 11 from December to the end of January, right? So the height of the Omicron surge. The vaccine's effectiveness against hospitalization declined to 73% from 85% in the older children, right? Mm -hmm. So still pretty good. Yeah. In the younger children, effectiveness dropped to 48% from 100%. Uh, but because few children were hospitalized, these estimates have wide margins of error. So that's just in terms of hospitalization, right? right? And so it's and and what complicates those numbers further is as that aside just said, which is that because so few children were actually hospitalized, it's not a reliable number. Uh, but the numbers for protection from infection are more reliable. Vaccine effect effectiveness against infection in the older children decreased to fifty one percent from sixty six percent in the younger children, so five to eleven. It dropped to twelve percent wow. from sixty-eight percent. So it it basically confers uh, no meaningful protection against the virus. It's like one of those uh, bad years with a flu shot where they get it wrong, and it's like ah, this didn't do anything this year. Right, yeah. and this this actually tracks perfectly with what we found out just a month ago about the under five set, right? right. Which is that because this vaccine for five to eleven year olds was dosed down because because once you get to 12 years old you're getting the full dose you're getting an adult sized shot in your arm for this virus right. whether you're 12 years old or 35 years old you're getting the grown up version of the yeah. virus at 11 you're getting like a one third dose and then apparently the test that they did on the under 5 set you're getting a, a one third of that dose okay. right so it's even smaller so it makes sense that there wouldn't be much of an immune response to this lower dose based on what we found out about the trials with the under five set. Now, what does this mean moving forward? I don't know. Maybe it means that they need to try doing tests and see if younger kids can get the full dose, the full adult dose of the virus of the vaccine. 
but it becomes one of those diminishing returns things because there are so few children who actually suffer serious negative consequences of having the virus that any side effects across a broad spectrum of children uh, turns into a much more serious thing, right? Because you're weighing... Uh, uh, in a cost-benefit analysis sort of way, it doesn't make sense to give a whole bunch of people negative side effects to prevent a very small amount right. of uh, negative outcomes uh, when it comes to people getting the virus. If uh, the CDC is listening, uh, just present the information as you know it and when you know it. Whatever drawbacks there are with that pales in comparison to you trying to withhold information because you're worried for whatever nonsense. Just... And it's, and it's not even close. Right. It's it's just not your job to try to predict right. the psychology of 330 million people right. thinking that you're going to get it right and it's going to help. Right. It's just it cannot be in your in your ambit. Right. And better that it's not effective on the lowest risk lowest risk group. If it was the other way around, it'd be terrible. If it was like ineffective against old, for old people and immunocompromised people, then it would have been a disaster. But Right. And this is like the third story in the last two or three weeks where we're getting information about like like data that we should have had right. months ago right. that that is only now coming out because people were worried about how uh, the public would take it. I'm thinking of the, the fact that according to the New York Times, uh, another part of this investigation showed that uh, boosters apparently weren't effective for people in our precise demographic, right, that that for people like 18 to 30, 18 to 54 or something, that the booster didn't have a very meaningful yeah. uh, impact on immune response. Still 100% defense on my end. I don't know, Bob. Yeah, and we still haven't gotten it That's somehow. Right. And who knows how. But so We haven't. We've been, well, I've been doing all the right shit. Yeah, we've been careful. Right, I'm doing all the wrong things. And no, yeah, but like you've gotten it. Right. So like yeah. whatever. Anyway, did you... Uh, there's a there's a just a whole endless pile of COVID shit that we could have gotten into this week, but this stupid oh, no, Ukrainian we thing we didn't. So nobody had to listen to me whine about the mask policy at school this week or any of the shitty like ways in which apart. our yeah. local school school board is is failing us. Did you go to the movies this week, Abe? Yes, I went to go see The Godfather 50th anniversary in Dolby Theater last week. Great, great movie obviously if you've seen it wait wait oh. so you're saying that one of the greatest <laughs> movies in the entire american canon is in fact it good? held up yeah <laughs> although there's a, a lot of weird audio dubbing that becomes very clear on the big screen where like they're walking outside and they're not saying the words you're hearing because it right. just kind of did it's, it after it's different it's different when you're watching it on the on the old tube tv right in reruns in 1993 right okay. and it's not like super detailed but i think they should these theaters instead of some bullshit variable pricing nonsense they should in the january february months where no one is watching anything of in, of interest they should carve out like wednesdays in january and february in premium format show classics because i would be all over that i mean the place was full for uh, like 70 percent full for this uh, screening and so if they just had one screening in Dolby or IMAX to like for E.T., which I've never seen, uh, the third Lord of the Rings, which I've never seen. Basically, I know this is to me, but like if you show classics, <laughs> I would go watch because there's nothing Abe, else. Abe the, Abe the solipsist goes to the movies. <laughs> 
But yeah. Uh, exciting exciting news on the movie going front. <laughs> I just found out today that after like years of them teasing us with this, that the local Alamo has introduced a monthly pass. Like the AMC A list or A Just like your AMC A list yeah. for nineteen ninety nine a month, I can buy that for for twenty dollars a month, you get that pass, and then you can go to one movie a day. All month long, yeah, and you can, and it's a and one I'm, month commitment, right? So you don't have to like do some long term thing, right? I don't have to sign up for the whole year; it's just month to month. And during the summer blockbuster season, you could probably find a thirty day window where you can catch a couple of like big movies and just well, be done. They play all kinds of movies. right blockbuster nothing. What I like about the Alamo is that they do a lot of these classic movies that they're. Like last year, they showed the basically the entire Kubrick catalog. Oh no, kidding! At, oh, at various nice. times. So this is like this is something that I might seriously consider. I got to figure out because I I've like we have said sort of collectively we're not getting any more goddamn subscriptions. Yeah. <laughs> like this is it's out of goddamn control. I don't care if it's Apple for four dollars a month or whatever the the goofy cheap price that it is. Right. We have enough, and we don't watch. Yeah, you know, we don't take advantage of them even though we have them at this point. So I got to find a way to carve out some space there because it's like it seems like it's totally worth it. If we had another income, we could get another subscription. Yeah, what is this about incomes? What are you talking about? <laughs> we got to do a fun activity for my math class where we did a budget. Oh, nice. Yeah. It turns out if you had another income, that would be better. Yes. Yeah, if we had like uh, literally twice as much money, uh, <laughs> life, money. life would be easier. <laughs> Big research went into that. We didn't watch shit. Uh, we had a. Uh, we went on a hike. We went oh, on a hike. Nice. We, my brother Andrew and his uh, his girlfriend. He listens. They Dre. listen. She doesn't anymore she doesn't because listen. they work separately. But he listens. Yeah. Uh, so they came to visit. Oh, that's nice. And that was pleasant. But we didn't we didn't ingest any content uh, basically because they were here. We played games well, there you instead. Go. I'm going to watch The Power of the Dog this week because that's on Netflix. I'm, I'm going to try to make it through a bunch of the Oscar-nominated movies. And I'm going to start with The Power of the Dog. Have you seen that one? I no, it's on uh, Netflix, right? I'll, I'll catch yeah, it. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix. So let's uh, let's both plan on watching The Power of the Dog, which is one of those gay cowboy movies. We still have to finish movies. The Staircase. Right. So. Oh. And we can talk about it next week. Yeah, that'd be Abe, good. You, uh, you, got, you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I think that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we will talk to you next time. Later. By the way, on the on the TV front, um, the reboot of the French Prince of Bel-Air, just Bel-Air, yeah. the, the tonal and genre shift, it's very... Jarring because like the characters, even though they have the same names, like Carlton is like some cokehead, uh, Uncle Phil is like the cynical, political kind of guy. Like it just felt weird. I only watched the first episode because it was free on Peacock, and I don't want to do the subscription thing for yet another service. Right. So when I saw the previews for that, I guess they were showing them during the Olympics or something, and and, and the Super Bowl, right? And I'm like. Was the thought process, let's take the only thing about that show that worked and mattered, right. which is 
the charm and appeal right. of one of the most charming and appealing right. human beings get who rid walked of that. the earth right. get rid in of that. the last two yeah. generations. <laughs> Let's take that away and make it dark and unpleasant. Yes. And that's going to be the show. Right. And whatever little adversarial stuff they had at the beginning between Will and Carlton, it was like in the context of a sitcom. Like in this one, it's like, you're going after my girl and I'm going to punch you. And it's like, this is not the show. You just took this intellectual property and attached right. it to some nonsense. You know, it's like, come on. So what was the, what's the buffer's verdict? Oh, they're uh, like, oh, down? it works and this and <laughs> Get out of here. Bums. All right. Yeah. Anyways. Um. Can't wait to turn this into something halfway listenable. <laughs> All right, good night. All right, good night. But the fact that she's saying that continents are a geopolitical fiction in order for us to do racisms now is just completely ahistorical. And that's what bothered me yeah. about the tweet, right. is that it's literally her doing the thing where she's taking her understanding of the way that the world works, where everything is just white supremacy, right. and saying, therefore, all of geopolitics has been arranged throughout all of history so that I, Nicole Hannah-Jones, could come along and have that one puzzle piece. She's got the Rosetta Stone to translate all of human history uh, through the lens of white supremacy and anti-black racism. I'd like to see you at a Blue Man Group show. Oh, that would be so fun. <laughs> that would be... Just... You'd like it. I, I, he, I know. He kind I would of want, hate it, but... I would want to watch Abe watching Blue Man Group. I've seen Blue Man Group enough. I'm fine with it. It's entertaining, but I mostly want to watch Abe watch Blue Man. And that's what bothered me about it. That's what bothered me about it.